Welcome everyone to Spiked, Sliced, and Diced, where we get a little tipsy, really full, and make some really cool choices. I am your gracious DM, Wengal Avi, and thank you for joining us for Nukoru. This campaign is a little different than most. All of my players are different characters slash people from different pieces of media, and so things might seem a little common or names might seem really familiar, uh, but the choices and things that they go through are drastically different than other shows and movies. Uh, All of my players will be joining us a little later as we begin with the first episode of Nikobu. Also, just as a disclaimer, we are all new to this. It is my first time DMing. Most of my players, it's their first time playing in a real long campaign. So we might not know things. We might be going into this a little differently. Um, Just bear with us. Also, if the quality right now is not the greatest, I promise we're going to get better. Uh, It's all a learning curve for us. We're taking time, going slow, kind of just enjoying the process of learning how to play the super super dope game uh so please be patient with us well now that i've gotten that out of the way let's continue with nikobu okay so let's begin everything is super super dark right now you can't see anything and um you start hearing these like super faint sound it's super faint you don't know what's going on everything is kind of like fuzzy for some reason and everything is just kind of far away as if you're in like like in space with nothing kind of holding you on suddenly we zoom out and we see a tv one of those old timey like 50s kind of style tv one that has the antennas and everything in the brown box it's old and in this tv it's a black screen nothing's on we see a few dials maybe maybe a little vhs inserting place but other than that there's not much else and all of a sudden the screen comes to life and we see static and it's one of those tvs where if you touch it you could feel the static um so the static starts coming and flickering and all of a sudden it starts focusing in on something in this tv and as it's focusing in on the screen, we see an office and we are transported in. In this office, it's mostly dark, uh, except for two large windows uh, in the background. They have red and white curtains adorning the windows. And as we kind of survey the room, we see that it's very clean, very proper. We see a huge, like two huge bookcases filled with books, all in order. Um, We see a huge brown wooden desk, very intricate, very pretty. And and we also see like a place for two people to kind of sit, as well as like a therapist chair. And when we look at the bookcase, we see all of these psychology and doctor books kind of perfectly organized and put there in like the perfect place. Uh, right in front of you, as you turn, you see this guy named Franklin. Yeah. Franklin is in hysterics. He's in tears. He's going, I just, I just didn't know what I needed to do. I didn't know that I was going to do this. This isn't what I wanted to do. And all of a sudden, we see a hand give him a tissue. As the camera turns, we see a man 
Conrad, describe your character. Okay, he's um not tall, but higher than average. Maybe like five eleven ish, something like that. Um, very solid posture, dark hair, piercing, sunken eyes, and a somewhat regal look to him. Maybe it's because of how he's manicured, but mostly it's just the vibe he exudes. Uh, he wears a darker suit, three-piece, um, dark tie, but shirt, very simple. Uh, his clothing is a type of clothing where, you know, it's like with watches, you get like Rolexes, which say, I have money, and then you have the actual watches where it says, I have money to other people who have money. That's his wardrobe. Um, and he is facing Franklin with a seemingly very compassionate in caring and understanding face. Handle. Doctor, I just, I don't know why I did this. I just, all of a sudden, I just felt the need to go and just attack. And it was like rage went over me. I don't, I don't know why I did this. And he keeps talking to you in hysterics and he's in tears and he's frantic. And he's sitting in the chair and it's a lot of like rocking back and forth. He's freaking out. What do you say to him? Uh, can I get some background info on my, like, relationship with him? Uh, he's one of your clients. He's probably, like, your fourth session with him. Mm -hmm. Uh, he was recommended to you because he ended up attacking his wife. Uh, a pretty brutally attacked as well. If you were to see, like, pictures at a crime scene, she would have been bloodied up, bruises everywhere. Um, unconscious and he was feigning on the side of like I didn't do that it wasn't me I didn't do that though the blood was on his hands the weapons had his um, fingerprints it was all indicating towards him but he had no recollection of it okay. so they sent him to therapy with you I see so it's court mandated um, this is after having me talking about mm -hmm. it alright uh, I suppose uh, Hannibal starts like probing, so he's like, um, well, Franklin, as you know, I'm your therapist, and similarly to a lawyer, I have a confidentiality agreement. Anything that you say, I cannot tell to anyone else, and it would require an immense amount of, you know, legal pushing, which would have to be given by a judge. And I want you to know that you can be as ugly and disturbing as you need to be, so long as you're honest with me. But doctor, I, I didn't do this. I don't know what happened. I just, I remember going into the kitchen. I wanted to get a snack. I knew that Liza was making some food and I was going there to try and, I don't know, have a conversation. We, we had a huge argument in the morning and all of a sudden, she said something, and I can't remember what she said. But it, it just—I—I I don't know what—I don't know what happened. I just blacked out, mm. and all of a sudden, I looked down on my hands, and it's bloodied and red. I didn't know—I didn't know what to do, and I stopped. Stopped what? I stopped thinking. Uh, Moving, I sh I don't know. It's as if there's something else inside of me. I don't know what to do. Do you think that something else did it through your hands? 
I would hope not. But the blood was on my hands and I can't get it out of my head. I can't sleep. I am plagued by nightmares all the time. I just, I don't, what am I supposed to do? And you see Franklin, he is like, he is truly like freaking out. He does not know what's going on. It was a lot of like kind of rushed back-to-back situations, uh, which caused him to kind of like be in this frenzy and not really ingest anything that actually happened to him. So this is the first time he's really taking it in after those like first three sessions where he was kind of just sussing you out. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, I think Hannibal uh, makes the reach and like gives a very comforting like pat on the shoulder, but like not in a patronizing way, but just actually be like, I'm here with you. Um, you see Franklin physically like relax a little bit. Yeah. Um, his breathing is starting to mellow out a tiny bit. He's still yeah. very frantic though. I, I I just encourage him to just let it out because I know that he's in hysterics right now and I'm not going to get any useful information out of him right now. So I'm just going to let him physically out. So as he's like in tears, crying, just kind of like going through a range of emotions, um, Suddenly we hear a ding, and the timer on your desk clicks. Mm. And you know that's a sign that it's the end of this session. I stand up, button my suit jacket. Franklin <laughs> <laughs> is just kind of like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Thank you so much, doctor. I think we're on the road to a very uh, beneficial relationship. Okay. Uh, so I'll see you next Wednesday. Yes, I'll be there. And as you go to walk him out, you see someone waiting in the hall. And he's a strange man. Um, you've never seen him before, but you are quick to notice that this is no ordinary man. He offers you a card, but Franklin is still there. Mm. So it's kind of this weird dynamic of like your client is leaving, mm. but there's this random person who's obviously important, mm. trying to get your attention. Mm. Um, and he offers you a card. It has a black card, back and front, no, no other information outside of a name. Mm-hmm. That says secret agent Jack Crawford. Mm, that's hard. Um, <laughs> and he goes, Hi, doctor. I've been waiting for you. Are you finished? Momentarily. Uh, please allow me to see my guest out. You may sit in my office for the meantime. He nods his head and walks into you. Um, your office. But I'm out. I take a look, try and get a scan of Crawford from the back. Okay. Um, you don't see anything much. He's wearing a black suit, um, a white undershirt, black tie, glasses. Uh, he's a pretty big, buff black man. Mm. He looks like he's been in the game for a while. He's not no newbie or anything like that. And he's not sitting when you walk back into your office. I've been meaning to look for you. We need you, your help. Would it be possible to hire you on? I've heard a lot about you. I heard that you had a great academic record and, you know, your studies with John Hopkins and your papers that you wrote are just immaculate. I personally took the time to read them and I truly am fascinated with your research and how the mind works. Uh, But that's not why I'm here today, sir. I would like for you to help me with a man I'd like to call Will. He's currently working with us and... There's something about him that seems off. Something about him that is, I guess you could say, unstable. Who is us? 
I just have a card with your name on it. Oh, I'm so sorry. I should have introduced myself. Apologies. My name is Secret Agent Jack Crawford. I'm a part of the FBI. We work specifically on serial murder cases, as well as attacks that could happen within the United States. We are a very private, very quiet organization, which is taking a big gamble on taking a step out to find you, sir. I see. Well, anything I can do to help the FBI. Amazing. And he gives you um, a sheet of paper, and it's kind of just like basic information, where to go next, what day you guys are going to meet. And he also gives you a little bit of information about Will. On this paper, you see that Will is a uh, 30-year-old white man, short hair. There's a picture of him attached. He's kind of scruffy, not the best kept, well-kept person at all. And in his kind of like information, you see that he's been plagued by a lot of things. Like he, but the biggest thing that you notice is that he can think like serial killers, mm. uh, which is a huge thing <laughs> in a crime. So you notice all of that thing. So suddenly we cut to a room, a white room. It's super bright now. Everything's really, really bright. And there's three chairs. Hannibal, you are sitting next to Jack Crawford and Will is right across from you. Mm -hmm. And this is your first time meeting him. He's the infamous Will that you've been hearing so much about. (laughs) 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 And the biggest thing that you obviously remember is that he thinks like a murderer, Mm -hmm. like a psychopath, like these are things that are just akin to his way of thinking. Jack Crawford begins and he's like, this is Will. He's been helping us out on a few cases lately. We've been trying to catch someone. There's been rumors, if you say, of someone possibly eating other people, but we didn't have much information into looking into that. Mm. We just would like for you to help him and aid him in his mental health journey, if if you'd like to say. And he says that and Will kind of pipes up and he just goes, I don't think I need this. Mm. I think I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. I understand that the way I think might be weird, but I haven't done anything. Mm. And he's very like closed off. His body language is very closed. What do you say? Well, I ask, well, it's like, actually, no. I ask uh, Jack Crawford, like, do you mind giving Will myself some privacy while I have this initial discussion? I'm sorry, sir, but for this moment, I don't think that would be possible. As you can see, we do want to hire you for your services, but again, this is new. We don't have a relationship built yet. In due time, maybe. And he stays seated, very firmly rooted. I turn to Will, and I sort of clock him and how he's reacting to that. Will is... Roll, roll perception check. Let's see. Yes, wait. Our first one. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're just fucking up on God there. damn it. You have your dice? Oh, you got a two. Perception, perception. What's my perception? Yeah. I got a plus one. <laughs> Could have been deceiving me, but it's, you know, it's like 13. Okay. You don't notice anything. Mm. <laughs> That's cute. It looks normal. 10 years of, like, out of me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
Well, Will, I am just here to help out, but if you were to be my client, then you would have the foremost priority, even more than the FBI. That is my duties both then as an institution and you as my patient. Um, I think you know with these types of cases, there's an incredible toll on your mind, especially with how you empathize with these tortured individuals. You don't know anything about me. <laughs> well, allow me to. Why should I sit with you? Then don't. I have no need to. I was merely asked to consult from Jack Crawford. I thought I'd help. But as of now, I'm just having an initial interview with you. But if you don't want my help, then I'm not going to force you there. If we start off on a bad foot, then I'm not sure I can do much good, period. You see on Jack's face, just just the slight, it's so, so slight, which mm. in his eye, it's very slight. It, you can tell that Jack has been, just from that, like, you have an idea that they have been uh, at odds mm. for a little bit about this. Will sits back in his seat and he goes, look, I'm forced to do this. This is my livelihood. This is how I make my money. This is how I take care of my wife. Alright? I'll fucking do this shit. But it's not going to be easy. And you see him start to get up. Like he's immediately ready to go. Uh, Jack also gets up. More in the sense of like, he kind of wants to block Will in and make him stay. But he can't. Because it's like, not ethical. And technically not his job. Like his job is to just bring him here. Uh, But that kind of like weird relationship starts coming up. Uh, what do you do? Do you get up as well? I stay seated. Okay. Just let him go. Alright. So they they both stand up and suddenly you realize this isn't your office. This isn't your table. <laughs> he Jack got up because Will was about to leave. And he can't let you Will leave. Mm. But you're you're at the FBI's. Mm. Uh, um, and so you you can by all means stay seated mm-hmm. but it is kind of I don't know if Hannibal would actually feel this but there is an air of caution mm. surrounding your choices in this area specifically yeah. generally staying more reserved I'm letting Will go because mm-hmm. I don't see any need to press into it. I'm very curious about him, especially with him being on my case, in a very literal sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but at the same time, I don't want to appear too invested in it, because that's also a way that Jack would get tipped off to me. Mm-hmm. So I just stay there, stay very reserved, engage what I should do based on Jack. It seemed to me that Jack wasn't leaving or trying to stop him, so I didn't get up to go. Okay. Yeah, Will um, pushes through Jack. Mm and leaves. Make one more perception check. Did she get like a bowl to like... There is... There is a bowl Need to get a bowl. Awesome. So, as Will is leaving, and Jack is kind of like right behind him, doesn't necessarily leave the room, uh, but is right behind him by the doorway, you notice on Jack's hand, a ring. It looks very like simple. Looks like a band. 
Uh, except in the band is like this weird stone. It's pretty bright. Um, and it's catching a light, but when you look around the room, the light isn't going in that direction. Yeah. How can it catch a light that isn't there? Um, so you just, you know, you notice that on Jack's hand and uh, Will kind of just pushes through, very like temperamental teen, like, um, and leaves. And Jack comes back and he keeps his hand pretty like covering the ring. So it was a very like quick moment that you pick that up. Uh, you don't quite know what it's about or any information, but you just know that that is interesting. Um, so Jack comes back and he goes, look, I'm so sorry. Will can be a bit temperamental. Um, we've been working with him on these cases and he's been a tremendous help, but we are truly concerned. We don't want to, you know, have another case, as we say, on our hands. Especially with someone so close. Thank you so much for coming, Doctor. Uh, let me see you out. And uh, Jack, still standing, starts walking to the door. I assume you follow him? Yes. Uh, and as you get to the door, something really interesting starts happening. You start noticing that the ring that he's wearing is pulsing. Like the light, it's growing brighter. And... Uh, now it's starting to look like a green light. Like it's pulsing back and forth. And as you get to the door, you start noticing like, whoa, what's what's going on, you know? But it's too late. As you pass through the door, a flashing green light just blinds you. And suddenly we zoom back out and we're out of the TV. Okay. Roll through a D6. Two. Uh, no, roll again. Do I just redo this yeah. again? <laughs> 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 do I again? Uh, one more time. Four. Okay. I was supposed to do again, though. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. <laughs> so, we're at this TV again. The static is now there. It's not going black or anything, it's just static. And we still, something is starting to get louder. Something is like, what started as maybe like a, it's starting just a notch louder. And the TV is flickering again, flickering to channels faster, a little faster, a lot quicker. And different languages start coming through and we start hearing things, but the static is still there. And as the static goes, it starts changing and changing and changing until a familiar sound starts playing. So we start hearing this. So this starts coming through. I was like, what's going on? So it slowly starts transitioning from that. And we start seeing, we start hearing this familiar sound. And as we hear it, we are again transported into this TV. This TV is kind of weird. But we start noticing that there's little etchings happening on the side of the TV, but it's too quick for us before we start pushing through in the TV. 
And as we push through and the static clears, it's very dark and very moody. And we start following like some snow. A little whisper of snow. It's traveling about and going in and out of bridges and through like uh, buildings and people. It's very fast in some moments and slow when it's going back up. And we see farming meadows, we see townhouses and city streets. And suddenly, we're at a train station. In this train station, it's pretty grand. It's a big train station right in the heart of London. And as we start going to, we get to the platforms, we start seeing some numbers. We see six, seven, eight, we see nine. And then as we're going to 10, we're halted. And we take a look and we see a head pop out in between. And it's like weird. We're like, what is this head doing here? (laughs) And the head disappears. It's a quick second, very quick. And suddenly the snow goes in. And we look up and see a sign that says nine and three quarters. And bustling sounds start happening. People are talking, kids are in robes everywhere. Scarves are being put on. There's a beautiful old timey train made of red and white brass and metals. And uh, it's a steam train. And we see families kissing their kids and wands and owls and just too much things, too many things, honestly, for them to be carrying. But it all goes in the train. We start zooming in closer to this crowd. And as we zoom in, we see a kid with like nerdy glasses and his hair is kind of covering the top of his head and he has a bunch of things and he kind of goes into the car and next to him are his two friends they're having conversation they're super fun um there's a boy with a little rat on his shoulder and a girl with really frizzy curly hair dyed light brown kind of dirty blonde everywhere and we see them kind of wave goodbye to some people in the distance and go into the train he push like he goes into the train and they go and find a train car to sit in. And as they're sitting in, you hear, Harry, you don't you don't do that. That's not how you fix your glasses. I need you to just just give it to me. Just let me do it. And like this bustling conversation is happening. And as the boy with the rat starts going to close the door, a hand comes out and stops it. Garrett, describe your character. <laughs> okay. Um <laughs> So, he's a little boy. Uh, uh, he blonde. He got black robes on with a little green. You may have heard of him before. He's scrawny, annoying as fuck. <laughs> he got blue eyes. Um, it's Draco. It's Draco, my boy. Draco. You halt the door. Mm. To this train car and you notice harry obviously yeah. and his friends and he literally bothers the fuck out of you <laughs> you think back on your history with this dude and you're like i gave him my hand he threw it away <laughs> i was trying to be friends with him and then i tried to be like all right are we frenemies and then it didn't work out and now we're like just enemies enemies and you're like fuck him like what is he so popular like that's not fucking fair fuck him <laughs> right and you start seeing his other two friends her and Ron, and you do not like her bitches. She is a mudblood, you're <laughs> not here for it. It's just not a good time for you, but you love 
Go ahead, can you spit? Come out the gate. Just like as I see them. Yeah, go ahead. Um you take a step in and you spit on the ground. Uh that halts their conversation. Good. Like conversation and they look up to you. And do you say anything or no. <laughs> go into their car, look at them, and then yeah. <laughs> like you went into their yeah. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I sure did. Um, but I don't say anything. <laughs> I just look at them. Harry looks right back at you in your eyes. He looks at you, and it's very much like the the feeling of like it's a competitor. Like he knows that. In theory, you guys are on the same level. Like, you might have the, like, knowledge, but he has the experience. And that's, like, where you guys kind of even out. Um, So, Hermione pipes up, as she does. (laughs) (laughs) She knew we piping up, though. And (laughs) she, she pipes up, and she goes... Draco, what are you doing here? Do you need something? She just like (laughs) looks at you like trying to get up all in your face, but like Ron is also by the door, kind of like, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Like just kind of holding her back, but like not holding her back. Like it's that. No, no, stop. Yeah. (laughs) So as that's happening, you hear uh, one of the guys behind you, one of your friends, um, kind of taps your shoulder and is like, Draco, Draco, let's just go. We, we'll see them later. You don't need to do much. They're not, they're just a waste of our time. And uh, they look to you to see what to do next. Mm, leader, leadership. I'm gonna just hit him with like a snide comment and leave. So, <laughs> so I think as Draco would. So uh, Draco's gonna say like, I just came to see if you guys made it another year. And then just turn around and leave. <laughs> Not waiting for a response. No. Nope. <laughs> Draco, you're, you know, you're walking down. It's a pretty tight corridor, hallway. Yeah. Uh, to get to your train car. Obviously, yours is in the front, the most lavish one. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> it, is, it is just the proper <laughs> of elegance. But before you get to your train car... The sweets lady comes up and she's pulling you, she's pushing her little sweets car. She's very sweet, you know, she's got her hair tied up. Uh, she's wearing a bandana, an older lady. You know her well enough, you know, she's always been the sweets person <laughs> in the Hogwarts Express mm-hmm. train cars. Uh, and they push through and you guys are kind of now in a weird spot because there's a spring car and the sweets but like you're there and there's a group of three you and you can't like yeah. go around uh, okay. and she looks up to me and she goes sweet would you would you like would you like a sweet yeah yeah <laughs> let me I drink a fuck with one of them um <laughs> Uh, chocolate frogs I always like those <laughs> <laughs> she uh your two other friends go and like try to, you know, get like their sweets and stuff. And then she goes up to you and she hands you this chocolate frog uh, in a container. And she goes, be careful. They do tend to want to run away. Make sure they don't slip. Um, 
And I'm a pro. Come on. You guys, <laughs> the three of you have to go in a straight line to look <laughs> Single file, boys. Um, obviously, you're in the front. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's like, it's like you still have to get around this thing, right? Yeah. So she gives you that. You pay her however much it costs. And worried about and money. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> family, love you. And you go to your train car. Your train car is beautiful. It's really? like the cushions are made of velvet. It is soft. It is plush. It is just like money drips from the <laughs> I got first type of energy, which is very odd to find in the Hogwarts Express. But your dad specifically commissioned this car for Come you on, because Come it's on, your third leash. year. You're a part of the Quidditch team or you're hoping to be. And he, you know, he's not the best dad, but money brings more attention. And he always wants to show off how much he has. You go and you sit and you hear your other two friends kind of like, you know, bickering about about some nonsense that doesn't even fucking matter. And you have a chocolate frog in front of you. Period. What do you do? You don't have to open it now. You can also just take it or you can eat it then. It's your choice. Mm -hmm. I'm going to save it for later. Draco is a very meticulous person. I'm going to save it. Okay. So as you save it, you know, the train is speeding probably way too fast down the tracks to get to the the Hogwarts. But you arrive and it is grand. You know it is. You know it is the best wizarding school in the whole world, as one knows. And only you can go to the best. And you walk in and you see this kind of grandiose architecture and lots of arches and big doors that are probably like even bigger than giant size because they need to allow for such big people to go through. And you make it down the hall and you see the Great Hall. And in the Great Hall, there are these golden flags from the ceilings and you look up in the ceilings and it's like a beautiful like spring day portrayed on it with like clouds reshaping and forming into different things. And you go and you take your seat at the Slytherin side uh, in those long banquet tables. And you see Dumbledore as well as the other professors all sitting up where the professors sit and he kind of goes up to the podium as after everyone sits down and you go, Yes. All right. Come on, Albus. Good afternoon, <laughs> students. <laughs> and like his voice booms and like radiates through. This year, we hope for grand things. We know that there were a bit of an issue going on these past few years, but hopefully those things will all be resolved soon. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) Mr. Malfoy, do you have something to say? Huh? What? No. Sorry. Continue. Right. (laughs) Be careful. And you see Snape's (laughs) eyes just go... Man, that's my dog. (laughs) (laughs) And he goes, all right, now we shall begin the sorting ceremony. And you see all the first years bubbling up. (laughs) You're like, I'm so excited. What am I going to get? What am I going to get? 
and you see them all kind of crowd as um, Professor McGonagall comes out with the sorting hat and she places it on the chair. And as she's there, you start seeing these kids kind of swarming it. Uh, one by one, they sit down and they get sorted. And after a few minutes of silence, you'll hear Slytherin, Gryffindor, Hufflepuff. And it's just kind of like radiating as these kids are getting sorted. Draco, you notice something. You look across the way and you see Harry and his friends and they have a little book. And you're kind of curious about it. You're like, what is this weird book that we're holding? <laughs> and you don't know what's going on with that. But you're like, I, let me clock it real quick, you know? Clock. Something to like notice later. So the whole great hall happens and the food starts appearing. All the kids have been sorted. The food is immaculate. It is food that you that even the chefs at your house couldn't even prepare. Shout you out to dream slave of elves in the basement. <laughs> 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 the great hall moment concludes. Dumbledore kind of is like, all right. Leaders of each of the house, please lead the first years to the right directions. Follow your professors. Make sure you know where everything is. Classes start at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. Make sure you are on time. And he goes on to, like, try to say something funny. And he goes, make sure you be there or be square. And he's like, you see him turn to... Uh, Professor McGonagall is because they, they won't be around. Oh, wow. <laughs> he had to explain it, but he did it to the side. <laughs> so no one else really heard. Well, that defeats the purpose. <laughs> well, the Ravenclaw definitely understood because they started laughing as they were walking, and Hufflepuff was just kind of laughing along the side because they were like, well, Ravenclaw is laughing, so it must be funny. See some kids kind of split off and separate into their respective houses. Mm -hmm. Slytherin and Gryffindor kind of go the same direction, but like split um, once they're up in the stairs. And you notice a few steps above you is Harry and his friends. Um, Do you do anything? Or do you just keep going? (laughs) (laughs) What do you think Draco would do? Guess what I think Greg would do, and he's about to do it. <laughs> no, no, he will be nice about this one. He walks up the stairs. He, uh, what order are they standing in? Since both houses are right next to each other, I would say that there are two people per like line. Um, so I would say that Harry and Hermione are standing next to each other, and Ron is right behind. <laughs> So, so I'm gonna. So Draco walks up the stairs. Mm-hmm. Can I? Right? <laughs> Can I just like fully shoulder run out of the way? Oh my God. <laughs> Not like knocking down the stairs or anything. Just like get the fuck out, you know? Okay, roll an attack roll. <laughs> yes! Take, take the D20. D20. Yeah. We roll it. Let's see. And you're gonna oh, add it to your nice. strike. Oh, nice. Add it to your own strike. Oh, that boy got a 19. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Ron, Ron, Ron yeah, might fall yeah. down the stairs. I'm not going off the stairs. <laughs> 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 it's just him. 
So they're kind of speeding up. They're definitely walking faster than Gryffindor. Mm-hmm. And as you come up behind them, <laughs> your two friends, your two friends are um, in front of you because you're like oh, whatever. Yeah, fucking Cedric. <laughs> and as you <laughs> as you go up, oh. you like Gregory. with your elbow just into Ron's side, mm. and he goes oh. <laughs> and he like slumps over mm-hmm. onto the space in between Hermione and Harry. Just kind of like on them. That's where I was trying to go. (laughs) (laughs) And they kind of noticed that and Harry and Hermione kind of turned to Ron, noticed what happened and then turned to look around and they noticed you. Mm. And you kind of like laughing, little light chuckle. Yeah, his little evil giggle. Uh, And you just continue walking up. Okay. You get to... um, the Slytherin door. Obviously, there's a beautiful painting there. Let's see if you know that you remember the code. Roll. Oh. I Roll. <laughs> <laughs> tell you right now. Roll intelligence. Well, I don't know if Draco does it, but I definitely don't. Okay. Oh, that's Ooh. fucked up. What did you get? That's that fucked up. Is that a a one. That, one. Oh. <laughs> that was the glass. God damn it. So as, no. you, as you get to the door, it was it was Honestly, it's karma. It was <laughs> It was <laughs> Yeah, because there are kids actively walking through it. Oh no. And it, it like senses that you're about to come through and shuts. Oh. <laughs> and you see the painting go. What are you doing here? <laughs> Who are you? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm Drake out of for just trying to get home. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm a Slytherin, so I'm calling me. Hi, Ben. I'm Drake out of for Malfoy. Sounds sounds familiar, and you Lucius. see him, you see him walk out of frame, comes back with a clipboard, <laughs> and he goes. Malfoy, Malfoy. Ah, I see, right at the bottom. Hmm. That's crazy. <laughs> hmm. What's your name again? Draco. <laughs> D D R A C O. <laughs> All right, I see you. Next time, make sure you remember the code. But, yeah. No. Dismissed and opens the door. <laughs> and it's just like, it, what's worse is that you inconvenienced everyone. <laughs> you had to, like, like the, the person in the painting had to literally go and get the list. And it's like, you know that that took, it took about like two minutes at least. But you get in, and it's a beautiful common room, a lot of greens um, of and blacks kind of surround it. Uh, and you go immediately up to your room. As you go and sit on your bed, you feel like a little tingle in your like pocket, <laughs> and you remember that's where your chocolate frog is. Oh, hey, okay. So you go to take it out, and uh, as you open it, a blue light surrounds you. But this is pretty normal. You're pretty used to random shit happening and weird things, so you're not really phased by it. Make a perception check. How do that? <laughs> uh, there's a perception on your sheet. You roll a d20 okay. and add that. Fuck. Okay, 12. 12? Yeah. Okay. Yes, so I ain't got no damn perception. <laughs> you start, you know, you start looking at 
<clears throat> the the box, and obviously there's a card in there, the great witch or wizard. As you start looking a little bit more into the card, it's weird. There's something not normal about it. As you go to take and pick up the card and touch it, suddenly a blue light, much brighter than the one before, floods the screen. And we are transported out into the TV. And the TV flickers and the channels are flipping a lot quicker now. Like a lot quicker. And as they are being flipped, we start hearing that off-screen chatter is weird. It is getting louder and it's sounding a little bit chant-like. A little like there's like a chant going on. And as the chant is like happening, we don't know what they're saying. We don't know how many people there is. And actually on the side of the TV is getting a little larger. Uh, and if you look at it a tiny bit closer, it looks like it's painted in gold. Uh, but there's not much else you can get out from that. So we go into the TV and we're in this beautiful house. It is huge and it is white. Everything is white. Everything is natural. Greenery is flooding everywhere. We kind of travel from the inside foyer to like the kitchen to the bedroom and the bed is beautifully made as it always is. The bathroom could be its own house is how big it is. And as we start going more, we start going into this closet and we look in this closet and there are clothes steamed, iron, precise, colors organized, then organized by designer, then organized by when it was released. It is organized to a T, kind of a little OCD, but any OCD patient's heaven would be this closet. And as we go in, when we turn the corner, we see a female. Drew, describe your character. Oh, yeah. Am I on Sydney? Yeah, you can say who you are now. Uh, she's Kim. Kardashian. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Kim. She's a... Uh, she's a warlock. Oh! She's short. She's like 5'2". Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's short. Yeah. Yeah. She's short. Yeah. Yeah. She's short. Dressed to the nines, but in like a really like understated way. Mm-hmm. Like you wouldn't know. Like she looks expensive and she smells expensive. <laughs> but it's not like... Chanel, Gucci, obvious, loud, expensive. Yeah. She has like a long braid, like slipped back long braid, like down to her waist. She's just showing, probably admiring her fathers. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're picking out outfits for your day. You're okay, so admiring her closet. Period. <laughs> <laughs> you're sitting on your little like chaise in the middle of the closet. Uh, and you have a few options out there. And it's it's right now it's just you. Um, you don't have any of your other attendants yet. This is literally the beginning of your day. You had just woken up and you know you went through your morning routine, you said hi to your kids. And you have a few options. A lot of like your skims things are kind of there, but you're also trying color now. So you have some really cool bright pops of color. Um, and suddenly scurrying in is your assistant. Tuscary. Your assistant, her name is Amaryllis, uh, but she goes by Amari. 
and she comes in, she has her iPad open, pen ready, schedule ready. She is on top of it. And that's why you chose her. You chose her because she was not just competent, but you respected her options and her choices. Uh, and that was a huge reason why she is your personal, personal assistant. She is the first person you see every morning and the last person you see before you go to bed. Um, and she walks in and she goes, Hey Kim, uh, so today you have a few things on the docket. I see that you have a few meetings. Uh, you've got a photo shoot with GQ. Uh, you do have a possible conversation with Jimmy Fallon for like going to a, uh, the talk show, but that's in New York. I don't know if you're really interested in that, especially since it's going to be the same. Uh, mm, sorry, it's going to be the week before Fashion Week. Um, which I, I know I already got everything booked. So don't worry about that. Um, the kids are ready. They've been fed. Um, they're just waiting for you to kind of just check on their homework, making things sure. And she's kind of like skimming through this list and she's telling you about the things, um, just the things you're going to do today. And Kim, you like really, you really respect her because so many people have tried to fuck you over. So many of your assistants before have tried to rat you out or uh, take some personal information that you've told them and sell it to the tabloids or whatever. Uh, but Amari has always been like a truly loyal person. And in the list of things, she's like, oh, okay, you also have to, um, you have a conversation with Chris later today. I don't know if it's like personal or like work related. Um, it just says combo with Chris. And then... Uh, Chloe wanted to talk to you also, but I just told her to talk to you tomorrow. We have a lot of things going on today. Uh, and what do you say? Is it important? Why is Chloe called? Is Chloe, is Chloe is it important? When I answered the phone, <laughs> Chloe just kind of wanted to talk about some stuff that was happening like in her day. It didn't seem like it was anything important, but if you want, I can add her to the schedule. Like You can have a call with her during lunch. <laughs> just add her. Just okay. do it. Okay, um, the kids are waiting uh, in the kitchen if you want to see them off. And uh, she kind of just like waits for you to lead the way in terms of like where to go or what you want to do. I'm gonna go say goodbye to the kids. Can I drive them to school? You can. Um, you have a few cars in your garage. I guess How loud do you want to be when you're driving your kids? Because you have obviously a ton of variety in terms of like what's going on. It's a nice car, but I have like four kids, mm -hmm. so function over style would be the best option right now. Tesla Model X. Oh, I think you would have like your SUV at this point, like your big like G wagon. G wagon, yeah. <laughs> um, it's matte black as you always love, nude interior, beautiful. <laughs> um, it's yeah, just like purring. And your kids all pile in, go inside, Amari uh, looks to you and she's like, should I meet you at the office? And she's like, okay, uh, we need to be there at 10 o'clock to make sure we get on, uh, you have a conversation this, with the GQ execs in terms of your photo shoot later today. And then you also have a conversation with Vogue, uh, they want to do for their photo shoot next week. Um, so I'll, we'll have that at 10 and 1030. And she, Amari goes and leaves. And you're in the car with your kids. And as you're in the car with your kids, your phone, you know, you have your cute little ringtone and you see Chris's name on it. Do you answer? Yeah, I'll answer. 
Chris goes up and she's like, Kim! Oh my gosh. I we have a lot to talk about. I'm not gonna talk about all of that right now. I know Mari has scheduled stuff, so it's fine. Right now I just wanna say hi. How are you doing? How are the kids? They're good, we're on our way to school. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, I wanted to invite you guys over tonight for dinner. My house is finally built and we're ready to have that housewarming party, but like, you know, not the big one. So you have to come over tonight. Okay. And Chris kind of goes on like a rant talking about like Corey and what's going on there and stuff that's happening with that. And you're just kind of listening, taking it in, like super happy to talk to your mom. And you get off the phone as you arrive to the school and the kids are all like, bye man, we'll see you later. Uh, I think dad is going to be picking us up. Um, they're kind of oblivious because they're still so young. But they're like, oh my gosh, like, bye, bye, bye. And you drop them off and you start heading towards the office. As you walk into the office, make a perception check. Amari is obviously waiting for you. What do I have um, to roll? You roll a d20 and then add perception to it. <sighs> Hmm. A four. Actually, I can't read that. It's a seven. It's a seven. Do you add anything? I don't think I have anything. Yeah, zero. No. Okay. So, you don't notice anything. You just kind of keep going throughout your day. Uh, but you start suddenly feeling really nauseous. It's very quick. It's like a quick... But the nausea starts coming like that. Um, you just kind of feel weird. So make a con save. A constitution. Mm. 13. Wait, okay. wait, wait, wait. Yeah, 13. Okay. So you are okay for now. You're still standing. You're still functioning. But that nausea definitely feels weird. Like, it's not like the best feeling. <laughs> um... But it's okay, and as you start looking around, you start noticing Amari is wearing a really beautiful bracelet. It is gorgeous. It is this gold bangle <clears throat> with like a black obsidian stone in it, and there's etchings on it. And obviously, Amari didn't do anything weird to get it. She bought it with her own money as well, and you know that. Uh, but you just notice it and you clock it and you're like that's a beautiful bracelet Amari kind of goes and flips into the iPad and she starts telling you and you start going through your day you know going to your meetings your photo shoots checking out the skims line seeing anything new for the update that's happening and as you go through you start feeling over and over again like that nausea like kind of dragging you around all day uh, and slowing you down severely until right before the family dinner. You feel so sick at this point. Like you had gone through your day and you know it's not what you're eating or your dietary schedules. You know it's just weird because the nausea is not just, it's like a full body type of nausea. It's not just in like your stomach or your head or anything like that. Um, and you tell Amari to take you home. So you go home. What do you do? I get into the room mm -hmm. and I lay down. 
Okay. Do you lay like in your room and the couch? In my bedroom. Okay. So you go to your room, uh, you get a ginger ale, you lay down. Amari is still there with you. Uh, she stays until like literally maybe 10 p.m. at night just because there's been quite a few times where you felt this sick and no one was there and you had to be hospitalized and stuff. So it's just like protocol to like stay with you until 10 o'clock, um, making sure you're okay, nothing wrong with that. And as you kind of go through this feeling nausea, Amari is going to the kitchen. And you start noticing she's putting like her hands to her head. She's not really feeling like, she also doesn't look good. She looks a little sick um, as she's walking towards the kitchen. And then suddenly you get this wave again. Make a console one more time. Twenty. Matt? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you oh, I have to honor this. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> that nausea wave hits you. You're considerably weaker, but you're not down or anything like that. But you notice that you look at Amari, you look at her bracelet. You're like, wait, wasn't that stone obsidian? Why is it off? Why did it become a ruby? Why is it red? Why is the light pulsing and bright and toxic? It feels heavy. It feels weighted. And as you start taking like steps closer and closer and closer to Amari, Amari drops. She's on the floor. She's unconscious. You don't know what to do. So you go and you put your hand on her head. And as you go to put your hand on her head and check her pulse, you start losing your vision. What do you do? Am I like on the ground? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would say you're like, like she's on the she's like so I collapsed. have to go on the ground to check her pulse like on my knees. Mm. I stop checking her pulse and I take like deep breaths to try and like fix my vision. Mm-hmm. As you're like trying to do that, Amari's hand shoots up and grabs your hand. Your vision can't. You you can't. No matter how hard you try, you cannot get your vision to clear up and you start slowly freaking out you're like what the fuck is going on what's happening with Amari I don't know what's happening and all of a sudden everything goes black and we zoom out and we're at this TV again the chattering still happens this time it's louder this time we hear we hear it very quiet maybe 10, 15 people, maybe, maybe even 20. We start hearing this, this chatting. We just hear like, oh God. Like, it's just, it's louder, but it's, you get some sense, something, but it's not much there. We look at the TV and this time the channels are flickering way too fast for the human eye to recognize. It is going. And that etching around the TV has now spread to halfway. The gold is starting to pulse just a little bit. It's pulsing lightly, becoming a gold light. 
The channels flip and flip and flip and flip and flip until suddenly it stops. You kind of whoosh, go into the TV again. This time you feel a little disoriented. Obviously, you know, going from something where this person collapsed on the floor and the vision starts blurring, you start feeling it inside and it's weird. You're like, why is this weird feeling happening all over my body, you know? But nonetheless, that image and that thought quickly ceases as we get transported into this new world. It doesn't look pretty. It's grimy, it's metallic. Uh, there are catwalks at the top with this huge metal spike wheel kind of circling with chains being pulled down. We just hear this like whipping sound going back and back and back. Like it just keeps happening. It keeps happening. Very like rhythmic and melodic. It's as if it is a routine for someone. And we start coursing down from the catwalk and we start looking around and suddenly the space gets so much bigger. And the light, it's lit up, but it's, it doesn't feel homey or warm or anything. It feels grimy and dark and gritty as we look. And under, we see a grate and under the grate is the sound of what we first think is water. Like a going through, but as we get closer, we notice that is not the color of water. That is not the color that we're used to. Suddenly it's this deep ruby red. And the stench just hits us. And the blood and the smell of blood just starts trickling down. And it feels as though it's like piercing your skin. And as we turn, we see a man on his knees and he's got this whip with spikes and it's flat, quite long. His eyes just looking directly forward and down, hitting his back. Explain yourself. <laughs> what going on? <laughs> so I am um, I'm Isaac. I'm a uh, I'm a wizard. Um, <clears throat> I yeah, hello man. I revive. <laughs> I uh, sort of uh, revive the dead a little bit. Um, and um, I'm uh, I'm shirtless, just okay. hitting my back with this spike, you know. <laughs> Uh, basically cleansing myself of, of sin uh, through right. pain because, you know, how else are you going to do it? Yeah, right. right. Exactly. <laughs> of course. Of course. That's yeah. the only way. Um, and, yeah, yeah. I'm... Get right back. I'm about... I'm about 5'10-ish. Uh, dark-skinned, bald. Kind of just these dead eyes. Just, especially right now, just looking at the wall... Thinking of thinking of my past, thinking of all the the humans who who've wronged me. So yeah, I have a nice little picture of Dragon Frame. And I like look towards him like yes. Yes. He knows the way. I'm just oh continue my hitting myself in the back. And um my back is all scarred and <laughs> just vibing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> 
This is a very big space. It's a lot of metals, it's a lot of open spaces. So sound bounces very well. And it is echoing. One whip can sound like 20 in this room. And suddenly with the sounds of these whips, even though there's only one, it sounds like multiple. Isaac, you are transported in a flashback. You're young. Maybe 12, 13, if you're lucky. You are in a study. But the study is weird. You're like, what? And you have a book in your hands. And you are engrossed and wrapped in this book. You are just so incredibly excited to be reading this. You know where you are. You've been here for a while. You're at a church. Your dark skin has always made people look down on you. And you are accustomed to feeling as though you are not human. You are in tears. The book is in your hands and you were so excited and you remember that feeling of excitement, but the tears, they're streaming down your face. And it's one of those moments where, you know when you're crying but you don't know you're crying, so you touch your face and you're like, why am I crying? That's happening and then suddenly, the sharp pain in your back just starts screaming internally and you hear that whipping sound again and you hear it again and again and as you turn you see this priest's face the hair weird as shit the robes the whites the cross and you see him crying as well but it's odd you're like, why is he crying when he is deliberately hurting me? And he goes, Isaac, why are you in my study? And you know, he kind of halts the whip, mm. expecting an answer, but it's still there, very threatening. Uh, I, wanted, I wanted to learn. That's not your job. Why, why are you trying to I'd learn? I'd be more useful if I learned, no? Wouldn't I? <laughs> Were you trying to learn yeah, to be great. useful to me? I mean, it'd be, it'd be more than just, you know, cleaning your bedpan and washing your sheets. Silence! And the tears just stream at this point. What was once just trickles, now streams. And he goes, Isaac. Your admiration and loyalty has been accounted for. And then he hits you on the back, but that was not asked of you. You have won the job and you have ruined it. And he is like, his voice to you is like venom. It is poisonous. Every word, because you love this man. He took you off of the streets and gave you a house and gave you food. And yeah, it's not the best circumstance, but it's better than being under the rain. It's better than having to wear a sheet of cloth just to seem covered up. And you have books here. For you, the bare necessities is lavish. This man's you've seen him work multiple times. You mm. clean the carcasses and the blood. You do all the dirty work. And as he cleans, <laughs> you know you know what this man does. He brings monsters back. He studies the craft of being a cleric and you know doing that kind of necromantic aid. 
that she you have be become so it. accustomed to in your world. Um, so Isaac, make a perception check mm. for me, please. Okay. Isaac, this man is always on a schedule. Mm. You know he's on a schedule. He's been like that since the first day you got there. And is every day at exactly three o'clock, he will find you in this room. And beat the living and the shit out of you. <laughs> he will take the whip. You will hear it coming down the hall on the ground, just dragging as it gets louder, echoing through this stone building. You go in, and he has you get on your knees, take off your shirt. The scar is still fresh from the day before, hurting you in tears again. And you thought that those tears were sympathy. You thought that he had to do this. This is something that was required of him. Something that just every human has to go through. If you were to take the shirt off of his back, you would see the same scars. You're done. This has been going on for far too long. And you, you look at him, you know, you, yes, you are being beaten and yes, you are in pain, but at a point it kind of gets numb and your mind can wander and you can dissociate and as you do that oh, you God. notice God, I'm being perfect. he always has this like cord around him and on that cord is a ring of keys and the room you're in is difficult to get out of you you have a secret way of getting in but the door is usually locked and you know that he's locked it before coming <laughs> to hurt you and usually the keys are like literally stick. Like you would not. Wait, what? It's not the vibe. You wouldn't want to go and grab them or whatever. Today, something's different. You don't see the keys there. The cord is there. That's going to take away. And you don't see the keys. He hits you and hits you and hits you to the point where he's over it. And as he turns around, you notice the key ring on his back. Kind of hanging. A little broken, as if he had an altercation earlier. Do you try and grab those keys? Yes. Okay. Uh, roll a sleight of hand. Uh, 14. Oh. I'll give you advantage. You want to try it? Okay. Uh, still 14. Okay. 14. So, you go to grab this key, right? It is a guttural reaction. You are truly at this point reacting. You are not thinking. Your brain is gone. And you go and you grab these keys. And as you go to grab these keys, your hand, like you pull, and it's so close. It is so close. And you pull, and just one key gets out. You are hoping you are pleading, you are praying to whatever is there that this is the right key. Now you have two options. <laughs> you have grabbed the key. The man is still there, whip still in hand. The door is locked. There is a window, but it's it's got metal bars on it. You definitely wouldn't be able to fit. And you have your like secret compartment, but do you really want to let him know? where that is, on how you got into this room. 
So what do you do? Uh, I try to keep it. Okay. Yeah. You run to the door. And you try the key. First, you're fumbling. You're, it's like sounds of like, like very like, it's breathing and it's hard. And the man starts crying again. The tears had ceased at one point, but now he's crying again because he knows what he has to do or what he is telling himself he has to do. And he slowly walks to you. And as you are fumbling with the key, you finally get it in and you turn it. And you are very lucky because the door opens. And you start running. (laughs) You start booking it down the hall. Mm. But this man is still behind you. And you know down the hall, there are two other priests waiting in the next room. But that room, there's only one door before you are free. Now I'll give you two options. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is me as like a DM, not like yeah, yeah. two options. We can either role play the combat or we can kind of do a general role of sorts and we can base the scene off of that. Which would you prefer? Roll play the combat. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Roll initiative. Yes, sir. That was the correct answer. It's okay. That's what I wanted. Duke, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ooh, nat 20. Oh, shit. Love that. All Plus right. Plus 22. All right. You are first. Cool. You don't have any weapons. You don't have, like, your skills that you have now. Yeah, You're yeah. still very young. Uh, mm-hmm. You have not actually finished studying your necromancy so you don't have much of that but weapons are littered everywhere mm. they say that this is a place of worship and a church but like is it really mm. when you see the axe and the chains and the whip nah. as you're walking <laughs> running down this hall do you grab any of these i grab the whip Okay. Because it feels right as I've been whipped so much. Mm-hmm. And it is the same exact whip mm. that you have in your present day. Wow. In the sense of the way it looks, the way it feels, the way it holds. So we're going to say that that has a plus one. The warrior attack. Alright. Uh, with a D8? No, no, no. You roll a D20 to see if you attack. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, seven. You miss. <laughs> you're still running. You're still got a sizable lead. I mean, you're a young kid. You don't have to fight. You can always just straight up run out. You start seeing the two priests who are kind of sitting at this table. And it's like the big table, like in, in the churches, like the altar, the pews, like wow. looking out. And the two priests are kind of having a conversation. One is in the pews, like in the front row, and one is at the altar. And you kind of hear, like, in the background, like, we need to get more. We need to get more. And the other guy goes and says, they're not selling any right now. We'd have to travel far to find one. And that's all you hear as you're kind of, now you're all of a sudden, like, in the room. That attack roll was for the person behind you who was following you to see if you can just kind of, like, pivot and hit and run. Mm -hmm. But now you're, like, in the room with these two priests. So they are going to 
the priest standing on the altar is going to take a moment. He looks at you and he's like, what, what is, what is, go- what is going on? And you're a little far from them right now, so they can't do much. So he just tries to dash towards you. And the other guy does the same. The other guy's closer. So he gets in and he doesn't attack. See here. Nope, does not hit. Does a five hit? <laughs> uh, does a five? Yeah. Uh, my armor class is 12. Yep, not gonna hit. So he misses, you duck under, you take a step or two forward. Uh, it's your turn. Alright, 11. You miss. But you're still running. At this point, I would say you're about 65 to 70 feet away from the front door. Alright. So you take your full movement. Now you are about 45-ish feet away from the front door. The priest comes, and they're going to cast Sacred Flame on you. In the way that I'm doing it now, not necessarily assault, so it's just going to give you disadvantage on your next attack. Uh, So one priest does that. The other priest, now, he's still, the priest that is far away does that to you. The one that's closer is going to take another attack. And this is again. Wow, my dice are shit today. Wow. Uh, yay, good for us. <laughs> yes. I literally rolled like another five. That's crazy. Okay. Uh, and it's your turn. Seven. Okay. And five. Okay. So misses. Yeah. <laughs> you are now 15 feet away from the door. You are so close. But the guy that was beating you before comes. And he's going to try to use the spell Thorn Whip to bring you back 10 feet. Thorn Whip? It's kind of dangerous, bro. A seven does not hit. No, it doesn't. You are very lucky. <laughs> uh, the other two are just trying to close the distance. They are not as fast as you. You are still a young kid. Um, they are old. <laughs> like they're not like young people. Uh, so I'm gonna say you make it to the door, and you're out. You and we're out oh, of yeah. combat. You are finally free from your fucking hell. It was hard. It was terrible, and you are free. And you just feel the panting kind of air around you, and you you just have to go. Your brain is gone. Your your mind is shut off. And we flash back to the present. You hear footsteps uh, coming from your left-hand side. And, you know, you're still whipping yourself. That's still happening. Uh, but you, you hear quite a few footsteps. And a man walks in. And you know him to be Godbrand. He has red hair. He's a vampire. Mm. He's like muscular, kind of Viking-esque looking, I would say. And there are two kind of just like random minions behind him carrying this really grotesque type of monster. Mm. Bones popped out of the skin fully. Like you can see inside the tenons and intestines, like it is just mangled and destroyed. And as that happens, He drops him out. He goes up to him. He's like, Isaac! What are you doing? Worshipping. Forgetting. Cleansing. (laughs) 
You know, I don't think that's really gonna help you. Like, I don't. Is that really the best thing to do with your time? And he just kind of looks at you up and down. Obviously, he still thinks humans are lower, mm. and he still looks down on you, and that peeves you. Just, just oh. And you kind of like are dealt like you know you're like back now you're out of that worshipping mindset when he started to talk to you like that he goes why are you doing that like go do something else like don't you don't you need to do like your job or something it clears my head I mean once I have a job to do I'll do my job but uh do I have a job to do yeah we just brought in another monster we need we need more our army is still too thin Fine. Dracula is demanding it. Okay. And as he turns around, right as he's about to leave, he goes, Oh, by the way, you know those priests that you've been looking for? I heard an interesting tip in town today. Heard they might be, as they say, across the waters. And he goes, Well, Anyway, ta-ta, gotta go. And he just kind of like saunters off. And the two minions have been gone. They dropped this uh, monster on your like operating table. And as you go up to your operating table, it is, a, a, to you, it is beautiful. It is gorgeous. It is adorned with your instruments and your saw and your uh, blade and your book, your grimoire is there. And everything is just so beautifully just perfect and immaculate for you and you take your whip you put it on your side it never leaves your side and you go (laughs) and you kind of take this really like saw it's like it's not like just a saw i would say it's more of like a cleaver but it has a huge like wooden rope uh handle that goes all the way to the top of the blade so if it was ever swung back on you it wouldn't actually hurt you there's this like blade here so this is this is one of your (laughs) instruments you use it when you have such a big monster like this to kind of dissect and go in half and as you go to kind of just start sawing into this you do maybe like a one two and suddenly a blinding white light fills your eyes and blinds you and we're back at the tv and the chanting is getting a lot louder at this point we can take like we can hear laws we're back at the tv it's still that old-timey brown TV that we know yeah. it to be. <laughs> but suddenly, we start hearing the words. The chanting has come has become loud enough that we can start hearing the words. And we hear they, them say, no. Wahani, kwa, ifin, kwazi. And they just keep repeating that. Wahani, kwa, ifin, kwazi. And the chanting starts getting louder. Wahani, kwa, ifin, kwazi. And it keeps getting there and getting there. And suddenly, the TV doesn't even flicker between channels. We are transported. The etching around the TV has now fully circled around it. And we transported (laughs) in. And we're in this brown colored room all of a sudden. You know, dividers, like dividers, like at school. That is this whole room. 
in terms of color, in terms of the walls. Just that vibe. Uh, yeah, just the, just that vibe. Oh. And as they kind of go, we're in this room, we first start seeing like desks and cubicles. Uh, we see a front desk area, kind of like an information desk circling on the right side. And then we see a bunch of cubicles and we see an office over here. And right next to the office, we see a conference room. As we go inside the conference room, we see a bunch of chairs, all wearing like suits and nice office attire. And on the ground, we see a dummy. And <laughs> and like like a like a dummy like fake first fake person like a CPR dummy on the ground and as we turn to survey the room we see Ethan's character describe your character this guy is about five eleven a mustard yellow shirt um, he's got his hair parted down the middle um, Ooh. few things about him he's uh a black belt in his community, karate class, sure. <laughs> the rest of the uh, the people in there are seven, but it's seven and up. <laughs> right, right, right. Right. He is the owner of the best and only beet farm bread and, bread and breakfast in <laughs> Pennsylvania. He, he likes paper. He's a paper salesman and the best at it. Uh, he's the best at it. Dwight, you are sitting in your chair watching as Michael is trying to do CPR on this dummy. Jesus. All right, the regional manager had just came in. So, you know, you're watching Michael do CPR on this dummy. The regional manager is there, and so is the CPR trainer-like person. This lady, oh my goodness, she is quintessential soccer mom. She's got like, like the zip-up vest that they wear with the long sleeve shirt underneath. And she's kind of just there and she's like, all right, everyone, this is, we're going to do CPR training. This is what we're here for. Just remember, you want to do a hundred beats per minute. And Michael pipes up and he's like, okay, but how many is that actually? Like, what am I, what is the right number? And then she asks, she's like, do you know the song Staying Alive? That's what you got to do. And a whole scene breaks out where they start singing. And they forget about the dummy. The dummy is gone forever in the back of everyone's mind. And as that dummy is there, Dwight, you look at it. And you now know that that dummy is dead. Had they taken the time to maybe actually do CPR, would have worked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's dead. So what do you do? Now registering that the dummy is actually fully dead. First thing you have to do is check if there's an organ donor. As you start patting it down, you don't notice a card or anything because it has no clothes and it has no pockets. So you can guess that it's probably not an organ donor. But it could be. Made the mistake of not having the card. Organs are up for grabs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do after you proclaim that to the office? Pull out a pocket knife and open up the plastic cavity. As that's happening, everyone else is watching just in pure shock. Hold on. <laughs> except, except two people. They're Sam and Dan just kind of look at you like, this is a given. We agree. Like, yes, this is all the right steps to do. You obviously need to check with an organ donor. You obviously need to check if it's able to, if you can take the organs. And if you can, then you got to start cutting it up. And they start watching this. <laughs> you know. And they start watching what you're doing. Continue describing what you do. 
you you slice open the belly mm-hmm. and pull out the stuffing. As you explain what is going on to the rest of the office, as well as the regional that. manager that is there, <laughs> Dwight, make a perception check. <laughs> Where is that? Um, That's a nine. Minus. Oh. Oh, no. Oh, no. have a negative? <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, no. So, you don't notice anything. Five? A perception? Yeah. You want a nine, got a five. <laughs> oh, oh, nine? Oh, I was here. I'm thinking six. Oh, God. I was so concerned. I was so concerned. I mean, it's still not a great one. You don't notice anything? Uh, but as you're like, you know, you, you go through that and everything happens. Everyone is in pure shock. The regional manager flush. She does not know what to do. She is confused and she's pretty close to almost fainting if she could, but like, she knows this is my job. This is what I'm doing. I can't, you know, I'm a leader. Thank you. And she just goes and dismisses everyone back to their positions. And you go back and you go into your sales job. And as you go, you see Michael and the regional officer talk. You take a moment, you look around, you're like, okay, whatever. And suddenly you remember, you're like, you have this overwhelming feeling. You're like, I I need to go over there. I am assistant to the assistant manager. It is my job. It is my right to be there. <laughs> I must be a part of this conversation. Do you walk over there? Mm-hmm. Yes. Period. You go over there and you start hearing as you're walking up. You hear Michael go, I was thinking maybe in a few weeks I would hold a meeting with everyone. You are kind of like speaky, I would assume. You're like quiet okay. on your feet. Um, so roll a stealth chest. To see how much you shock Michael. Ten. Ten? Mm-hmm. Did you ask? Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, <nine>. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you're a little loud today. And, <laughs> and as you come up behind Michael and as he's like, I will hold a meeting with everyone, I'll discuss it with the office. Everyone's kind of like, Everyone kind of starts looking at you, like, what the fuck is he doing? And just their their eyes are tracking you as you go from the literal farthest point in the room, go all the way around to come right behind Michael. And you know, you should, you feel like you should be quiet. You don't care. You just take out your pocket knife and then you put it back. And then you take out the mask, the part that you cut out from the dummy. You, t- you cut out the face of the dummy. You put it on, and you just kind of slink behind Michael. And the regional manager goes, What are you doing with that on your face? Just like very like Um, and Michael turns around and goes, Oh shit! Dwight, what what are you doing? What are you doing here? This is an important meeting. I'm assistant regional manager and I deserve to be here. <laughs> I don't you're not assistant regional manager. You are a salesperson. That's why you're here. No, but you said I was assistant. When did I say this? <laughs> Many times. <laughs> I, read it. I, I can get my journal. You, Michael, kind of turns to you. I 
did not say that to you. August 9th. August 9th. <laughs> go get your journal. Got the receipts. Go go get your journal. Just kind of like trying to shoo you off. But you stay rooted. You are there. You are not leaving. And as you're there, you kind of look. And you look at the regional manager for like actually the first time. Still, mask on your face. CPR dummy mask on your face. Your eyes piercing through these other eyes. And you look and you notice something odd on the zipper of the regional manager's vest. And as you look, you suddenly start hearing something. It's like echoing in your head and you're confused and it slowly starts getting louder. Over and over and over till it is literally akin to splitting your head like a migraine. It is just going <laughs> is good, buddy? Damn. <laughs> I heard the splitting your head part. Dude, rip for the headphone use when they listen to this show. <laughs> 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 I also like you said So what do you do? I look around and ask who's doing that. Everyone looks no. at you very confused. They're like, Dwight, what's wrong with you? Nothing. There's no sound. There's nothing happening. Did you did you not did you not go to your beach farm this weekend? You get like this when you don't go. And you just see everyone kind of take a step back mentally. Like they don't actually physically take a step back from you, but in their mind they're like, we're not gonna be around this guy today. He's kind of locked. But that sound keeps echoing. That sound of like the Bohani quasi just keeps getting you and getting you until suddenly the zipper on the regional manager's jacket lights up and this purple light envelops you. It's like you're not knocked out. Suddenly you're transported to a different place, to a different world, and you all wake up. When you're in this different world, it's weird. You look down and you're standing inside of a specific colored circle with runes etched all around it. The runes are like glowing. And the sun is too bright for you to recognize anything that's going on right now or where you're at or what's happening. But all you know is you start coming to. And Kim, for you, uh, Amari is right next to you. You guys are both in the same circle. Oh, she a queen. Are we all like standing in a circle? Or like like that. You guys are scattered Mm -hmm. all throughout this town. Stop that, bro. And as you kind of go through this town, words start coming in and you start hearing it. It's bustling. It's loud. And as the sun and your eyes adjust, you recognize you're like in a merchant's area, kind of part of this area. And in this merchant area, you see merchants of all types selling crystals and gems and potions. So a little description. Welcome to the Dying Tree Rainforest. A beautiful rainforest with tall canopy trees slowly swaying in the sky above you. Bird sounds echoing all around as if a chorus of song to welcome you in. You see vines hanging down from the trees and the morning dew on the leaves of the plant around you are glistening. 
As you turn to look in front of you, you see a beautiful tall castle built into the built into the kapo tree. It's this huge tree kind of in the center of this town. You can tell that everything around it is circling this castle and this tree. Tall pillars seeming as though they could touch the sky, beautiful European style arches and stained glass paints the town in front of it with a rainbow of color. And as you start looking down, you see a quaint little like merchant area and there are people everywhere. They're selling anything your heart could desire from spices to potions to armors. The street is like bustling with activity in this open air market at like 9 a.m. in the morning. And suddenly you hear a little bing echo in your heads and a voice starts talking to you. Travelers from another world, please make your way to the Empress at the Great Hall in the castle and the message replays and replays and replays and replays. I feel like I'm turning into Draco right now. And it it gets a little irritating. But this mass yeah. message only you guys can hear, kind of plays in your head. But there's other people over town. Yeah, there's so other people. So it's like I hear town. it like thoughts in my head. Yeah, so thoughts in your head. So I have to look around and be like, is it a real <laughs> Yeah, it's like, yeah. Y'all, y'all got, y'all got to say, no? <laughs> you, oh, you're going to. So you guys okay. are all scattered. You don't know <laughs> each other. You just know that you need to go to the Great Hall and the castle. And the I castle see. is always directly in front of each of you. You just all are scattered around. Very well. And that's where we're going to end our first session. Oh, wow. No. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Thank you so much for joining us here at Spiked, Sliced, and Diced. That is the end of our first episode of our campaign, Nukobu. And we can't wait to see you guys next time. Bye.